0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers podcast. In this episode, Casey speaks from Exodus chapter one on the dangers of earthly wisdom. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Exodus chapter one. We're going to spend six months Uh, In the book of Exodus, we are going to veer off a few times to to dip our metaphorical toe into Deuteronomy, the book of Numbers, perhaps even Leviticus. Uh, But by and large, we're going to stick to the book of Exodus. Now, you may not realize this. Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Leviticus are probably the most foundational books for you to know as a Christian. You may not get that because you're not Jewish. Okay, but that is what they call the Torah, right? It is the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Law. And here's the thing if you don't understand how the Law works, you're going to have no idea what the New Testament is about. The Old Testament is all about describing the Old Covenant, ergo the Law. And so you have the first five books describing the Law, you have some books of history and poetry, and then you have books of prophecy explaining that the law is actually futile and that there's coming a day where the true law is coming and the law giver is coming and everything that the law is pointing to is coming. And then you get Jesus, the gospels, and then you get the letters explaining why we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace and why the law was only a placeholder or a guardian or a manager. It's literally all tied into the first five books of the Bible. Yet, if we're honest, they're the books that we're probably the least familiar with, right? We get... We get Genesis, we're probably going to get a little bit of Exodus where you're going to be like, I know this. Uh, We start going into Deuteronomy, you're like, "Mm, no, you go into Leviticus and you're like, absolutely not. (laughs) Right. But they're really important. And so um, what we're not going to do in this series, I'm just going to prep you. We are not going to go into all 613 laws and we're not going to dissect them. Okay, we're going to do this in the same manner that we did with some of you guys were like, oh, you didn't mean that. Just (laughs) trying to be super spiritual. You don't want to do it any more than I do. Should not glean from your neighbor's fruit farm, and we can talk about what that looks like in Leviticus 16. I'm just kidding. Um, what we will do is we'll go narrative by narrative, right? We'll hit the big highlights, uh, and and so there'll be times where we we hang out on one chapter for a few weeks. There'll be times where we hit four chapters in one week. That's just kind of how we'll roll. So Exodus chapter one, um, I'm going to re-read. Uh, Genesis 15, while y'all are going to Exodus 1, because this is really important. If you remember, God is uh, in Genesis 15, giving the Abrahamic covenant, which we talked about in the last series. And when he gives Abraham this promise that he's going to be a nation and that he's going to birth an entire nation from Abraham who was super old with no kids, and the wife who was barren because she was super old, he gives him not only a promise of blessing, but a, a promise of persecution. And uh, we talked about it, but it is really worth reading right now because it ties right into Exodus. So God's sitting there talking to Abraham and then God shows up uh, in a dream and it says, uh, this is Genesis 15 verses 12 and 16, or 12 through 16. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants Will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here for the iniquity. Of the Amorite is not yet complete. And if you're familiar with the Exodus story, you realize that here in Genesis 15, God is actually um, prophesying and giving Abraham and his people a warning of what is going to happen. Now, a lot's going to happen between Genesis 15 and Exodus 1. Abraham or Abram is going to get a name change. He'll get the child uh, through which the entire nation will be birthed. That child's name was Isaac. And if you remember, Isaac would go on to have two children, and uh, uh, and their children were Jacob And Esau and Jacob and Esau would fight with one another. Jacob would eventually um, flee uh, his brother's wrath because he stole the birthright. And Jacob would have this really crazy encounter with the Lord where he would wrestle with God as his sin was getting ready to to kind of find him out. And and in that exchange, in that wrestle, Jacob, his name would be changed to Israel. Israel, okay, and then he would, he would reconcile with his brother Esau. He would have a child named Joseph, which is where the, the rest of uh, the book of Genesis uh, kind of takes place, the end of the book. Uh, but he wouldn't just have Joseph, he'd have 11 more uh, sons and a daughter. And uh, those sons essentially would become the 12 tribes of Israel. By and large, there's a little wonkiness there, but that's basically it. That's how you get the 12 tribes of Israel and Joseph he would make his way um, over to Egypt through some pretty unfortunate circumstances. His brothers would sell him into slavery. It was really bad. If you guys remember the whole story, he would work his way up to the second in command uh, over all of Egypt. So literally it was him and then Pharaoh, and that was it. And so Joseph, he is in charge essentially of an entire nation. His family, Jacob and his brothers come to Egypt looking for refuge during a famine. And then Joseph um, would kind of play some weird games with them. It's kind of weird, but they end up reconciling and they settle in the land of Goshen, which is like a little land inside the province of Egypt, inside the territory of Egypt. And it says that there were 70 men with them, uh, which means there's probably uh, several uh, you know, probably 70 times, I don't know, whatever it is, it's a few hundred uh, people who were actually there because 70 was the men, okay? So there are 70 men who show up, multiply that by women and children. They settle in the land of Goshen and they begin to multiply. This is really important because if you remember, Pharaoh really liked Joseph. Pharaoh and Joseph were super tight. That's why Pharaoh elevated Joseph to such a high degree. And so he gave Israel and his family, the land of Goshen, and they would begin to multiply and eventually become an entire nation. Okay, that's essentially the book of Genesis. Exodus 1 picks up right there. Joseph uh, has just died. Exodus 1. And we're gonna read the whole chapter, uh, which is 22 verses, Uh, Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel or Jacob who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulon and Benjamin and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now behold, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, They will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. It's Genesis 15 coming to life. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pytham and Ramses, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out. So they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks, and all kinds of labor in the field, and their labors which they rigorously imposed upon them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other who was named Puah. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, see them upon the birth stool. If it's a son, you shall put him to death. If it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives uh, to him and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, uh, this is a cute little lie, uh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who was born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. All right. It's Exodus chapter 1. I've got eight observations of this passage, and we're going to get through three of them, I think. Um, And and what we're going to do is is I'm not going to hit every verse, but we're going to just kind of go through it successively. All right? Here's the first observation I want to make about this passage. God's blessing causes his people's persecution. Okay, if you look at verse seven, it says this, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so the land was filled with them. Okay, here's the thing. It was God's blessing upon Israel that ultimately caused Pharaoh to fear them and to persecute them. If Israel had stayed a meager group of only 70 or so people, Pharaoh would have not been afraid. Pharaoh would have not afflicted them. Pharaoh would have let them be. But if you look at the reason that Pharaoh goes after them, what does he say? He goes, behold, they are more than we are and they are mightier than we. Now here's the thing. God's blessing is causing their persecution. You're asking, what the heck does that have to do with me? All right, well, here's the deal. How often do we see God blessing other people and that same thing that's in Pharaoh rises up in us and we wanna go persecute them? You see, the thing about Pharaoh is Pharaoh had to be the best. Pharaoh had to be the strongest. Pharaoh had to be the king of the mountain. Pharaoh had to be top dog. And at the threat of somebody else becoming top dog, at the threat of somebody else becoming the star of the show, at the threat of somebody else being more blessed than he, he said, I have to go and deal with this. I will bring oppression where God is bringing blessing. And this is a really important point for someone like you or me because I'm gonna ask you two questions. Number one, how do you respond when God's blessing other people? Do you get jealous? Do you get bitter? Do you get angry? Do you get envious? Do you have to be the king of the mountain? Are you Pharaoh? When you start seeing God blessing other people who are not you, even though maybe you're doing all of the things right and it seems like they're doing everything wrong and God is pouring out blessing upon them, do you get angry? It's a good question, right? Matt Chandler, uh, one of my favorite pastors to listen to, he tells a story. He's a godly man, loves the Lord, has served the Lord his whole life, he gets cancer. And he tells this story that he's um, sitting in his uh, couch or sitting on his couch during Christmas time and he's looking at a Christmas card that's on his mantle. And that Christmas card is of a family in his church that he's been ministering to. But the thing goes, he says he looks at the Christmas card and he's reminded that the husband is an adulterer and an abuser. And since the Christmas card's been sent out, all his sin has been found out. Right? And here's Matt Chandler looking at death, losing his hair, going through chemo and radiation and excruciating pain, and he starts to. Uh, expressed to the Lord, he's like, it's not fair. I've served you my whole life. And yet you're causing me suffering and this guy's living in blessing. And that's a real place that we can get to, isn't it? When we start seeing God elevate other people, when we feel like we're the ones who should be elevated. When we start seeing God bless somebody financially and we don't understand and we're over here struggling to make it. And the reality is so many of us can find ourselves at the exact same place that Pharaoh was and see God blessing other people. And in our hearts, we may not do it in action. We might do it in word, but in our hearts, we're just persecuting our brethren. We're jealous, we're bitter, we're angry, we're frustrated, and we don't understand. And we've forgotten the words of Romans 9 where God says, I'll have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And you're the clay and I'm the potter and the the potter can't say, or the clay can't say to the potter, why have you made me this way? And in that moment, when we're watching our brothers and sisters flourish and be elevated and be blessed beyond what we are, we have a choice. We can either A, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, Or B, become Pharaoh and get bitter, angry, jealous, and full of envy. And here's the thing, guys. As Christians, we're called to celebrate and elevate others. That's that's what we're called to do. We are the chief servants of the earth. We are to, as Philippians says, regard one another as more important than ourselves. It's one of my favorite verses because it's so practical. So when you meet somebody and you see that God's blessing somebody and instead of getting envious and jealous, what you should be going is go, Lord, they're more important than I am not in, the, not in the, like a, a, a weird, shameful way, but like a, I believe in them so much, God. if you can just continue blessing them, if you can just get a hold of them, if you can just elevate them, God, I just know they'll do wonderful things for the kingdom. to really believe and to do everything you can to serve that person, not just get out of their way. As Christians, we elevate one another. So how do you respond when God is blessing someone? More than you. And here's the next question Do you have to be the best person in the room? Now, this may only minister to some of you, but I promise you it's gonna to minister to, to people who are like me. Because for some people, there is this desire to be the best and the loudest, and everything's a competition. And, and if you're gonna tell a story that's funny, that's gonna make everybody laugh, I wanna tell a story that, that's even funnier and makes people laugh more than they laughed at your story. That's silly, right? But we all know what we're talking about. You ever meet that person who's like, man, I really, I just had, I had a really rough day and they start explaining their day. And then the person in the conversation is like, you think your day was rough? Check this out. You lost your grandma. My grandma, I lost two grandmas. And a dog. Same accident, right? Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? that thing where it's like we always have to be better here's the thing guys as christians we're not in competition with one another we're not in competition you don't have to be better than anybody else we all suck and i know it's that's hard it's just the reality and that's how we need to look at it it's not a competition you don't have to be the king of the mountain. As a matter of fact, here's what we see in the Bible, that God opposes the proud. God opposes the only group of people. He does not say that he opposes the atheist. He does not say that he opposes the agnostic. He does not say that he opposes the the, the Muslim terrorist. It says that he opposes the proud. Ooh. And he gives grace to the humble. And you and I, we are called to live a life of service towards one another, rejoicing in each other's blessing and doing what we can to elevate others and put others before ourselves. And so these two questions, uh, how do you respond when when God's blessing somebody more than you? And do you have to be the best person in the room? If you answered unfavorably to those, then you actually are not that far off from being a Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a pride complex. Pharaoh had to be the best. And I would just like to say this, God reserves the right to bless anyone who wants to, and God's blessing isn't always God's approval of everything in their life. Um, And I had to learn this, man, like uh, we, we look at God's blessing literally like that, right? Like if God's blessing somebody, that means God's like more happy with them. You know, it's like, oh, God's blessing that person. He must, he must be really, really pleased with them. Oh, they must be absolutely killing it. And, 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 and the problem is we know that they're not killing it. And so it creates this conflict in us. And what I would just say is sometimes God's blessing somebody in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their um, uh, uh, immaturities, in the midst of, of all of their issues, because he's actually trying to win their hearts. And so many of us get bitter and angry and we're like, how could you possibly bless them? They're terrible. And God's like, I kind of know they're terrible. This whole thing's about winning their heart. Dude, get out of the way. I love them. Because it's his kindness that leads to repentance. Remember that? In our job, like what we should want is that all people would come to repentance, that all people would come to know the Lord, that all people would, would have intimacy, nearness, closeness with the Lord. And so we should rejoice Whether we know that person's a sham, whether we know that person's frustrating, whether we know that person's issues and sins and immaturities, and we're looking at them and we're looking at God blessing them instead of being like, that's unfair. We should be like, oh, Lord, win their hearts. Amen? If you answered unfavorably to either of those questions, then you are at risk of making some of the same destructive decisions that Pharaoh does. And I want to look at the next uh, three verses And I want to talk to you about the folly of earthly wisdom. So here's the thing. Pharaoh, he sees that Israel is being uh, multiplied and they're becoming mighty. And, and, And this is his response. Look at what he says. This is really important. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them or else they will multiply. Since the beginning of time, mankind has had a thirst and a quest for wisdom. It's what we're after. We value knowledge, we value wisdom, and Pharaoh's no different. What does he say? Come, let us deal wisely with them. And even in the church, wisdom, man, we act like wisdom is a really big deal. We act as if wisdom is a fruit of the spirit or something. Right? How often are you in conversations with me or with another leader or another Christian, and you're like, "I just want to make a wise decision. We love wisdom, right? Wisdom's really good, but here's the thing: Earthly wisdom is folly, destructive and dangerous. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. OK? And here's what that means. That if you want to make the most wise decision, do not list out your pros and cons and go, hmm, there's more pros. I'm just going to go with this. You cut through all of that and you go, how does the Lord feel about this decision? Wow. What does the word say that God feels about this decision? Because if, if, if God's for it, if God's heart is, is positive, then I'm good. That's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's how we need to be thinking every day as Christians is what does the Lord think about this? How does the Lord feel about this? But here's the issue. I don't mean to like get up in your business. I'm just, I, I, I'm not trying to like be intentional or like kind of mean, whatever. Um, here's the thing. You're not gonna know what the Lord says if you don't know the word. Whoa. And that's a really important detail. You cannot possibly hope to think that you understand God's heart for something, a direction or a decision that you're making if you get one sermon a week and that's your Bible. And I'm on this kick right now, man. I'm seeing it just, I'm not even really, honestly, I don't think I'm even seeing it with you guys. I'm just seeing it in the church in general where it's like our, our primary diet of Bible is through the pulpit and we all have the book at home. And It's crazy. I, I just want to tell you, I'm your pastor for some of you. Some of you guys, you're, I'm not your pastor. You're just here and you're like, I don't even know you. That's cool. I, I should not be the primary source of Bible in your life. If I am the primary source of Bible in your life, you are at risk of, of falling away due to bad teaching because I may be wrong. How do you know? Now, I don't think I'm wrong, right? <laughs> but who does? Who does? right? I've given myself to study. I've done my due diligence. I've worked really hard at at rightly dividing the word of truth, but you would have no idea if I'm leading you astray unless you're in your word, right? Or you run the risk of idolizing me because I'm playing the role of the Bible in your life. Don't do that. I should only ever be supplementary at best, Billy should only ever be supplementary at best. Whoever your pastor is, if you don't even go here and you go somewhere else, if you go to church and winder, Jeff should only be supplementary at best. It's so important. Every one of us has the Bible. Every one of us can read. If we can't read, we can hear and we can listen. We have the audio Bible. Just, my best friend's dyslexic. That's what I was thinking of. I'm like, think about like Matthew trying to read and he's like, ah, that's not my thing, but I listen. Right, so he does, He listens. We have no excuse to not know the word, but the good news is when we know the word, we know how God feels about things. And we know how God feels about things, we can operate in uh, not earthly wisdom, but divine wisdom, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Song of, or not Song of Solomon, uh, King Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a great book. Um, King Solomon was was known as the wisest man on earth because he asked God for the gift of wisdom. Again, mankind has always searched for wisdom, and he lives his life doing all kinds of terrible things. He does a few really good things, but mostly really bad things, right? He's he's sleeping around. He's doing all kinds of out. He's drinking all kinds of alcohol. He's doing all kinds of of, of sinful worldly pleasures while at the same time he's building the very temple which God would dwell in, kind of a weird thing. And then he gets to the end of his life and he writes this book of Ecclesiastes and he basically is just tearing up his own life and he's like, yeah, this is worthless. Yeah, this is worthless. this was vain. Shouldn't have done this. And at the very end, he says, in conclusion, in summary, the wisest man on earth at the end of his life says, in conclusion, fear God and keep his commands. If I could sum up everything I've learned... And all of my wisdom, it goes back to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Our litmus test for decision-making in our life should ultimately be, what does God say about this? And I, um, you may ask the question, well, how do I know if I'm making this decision out of the fear of the Lord? Um, and I actually have a Bible verse for you that's really helpful. Um, James uh, chapter three, verses 14 through 18. This is like super helpful. This like, this will help you understand if you're making a decision out of the fear of the Lord or if you're making a decision out of earthly wisdom. Um, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. This wisdom is, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here's what he's essentially saying. How do I know if I'm using wisdom from above fear of the lord or how do i know if i'm using wisdom from below? And he says this, do you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and arrogance in your heart? Is this decision being made out of selfish ambition, arrogance, or bitterness? Because if it is, right off the bat, you know it's natural and demonic. So some of you guys you're like trying to make big life decisions and you're like, "Okay, Lord, I got to know what you got. I want to know what you say about this." Go search your heart. Are you making what are you, the decision that you're leading towards? Is it rooted in selfish ambition? Is it rooted in some kind of bitterness or jealousy? If it is, I'm just gonna tell you right now, you're operating in earthly your earthly wisdom and it's not gonna go well for you. Remember what Eve, remember the story of Genesis? I just wanna point this out again. Remember the story of Genesis? You remember how God, or I'm sorry, how the devil, uh, got Eve to eat the fruit God had already told her that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was bad and she had seen it and was like I don't want it then the enemy comes in and he's like ah, you know actually God knows if he if you eat from that fruit that you'll be like him and you'll know the difference between good and evil right and then it says it shifts and it pans over to Eve and Eve sees, the fruit, and it says, when Eve saw that the fruit was desirable to make one wise, it was like all of a sudden she realized this fruit wasn't just bad, it could make her wise. And it was in her pursuit of wisdom, earthly wisdom that basically doomed all of us. Okay, your earthly wisdom can get you in really bad situations, just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I wanna deal wisely with them And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to enslave them and I'm going to oppress them. Let me give you the last point. The last two points are gonna bleed in together. They'll be real quick. Number one, number three, really. Next observation, fear of the unknown leads to poor decisions. Fear of the unknown leads to poor decisions. Says this in verse 10, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So that's what Pharaoh's big issue is. He goes, they're more than us. They're mightier than us. I don't like that. We've got to be the best. We've got to be the strongest. And then he starts playing the really dangerous what if game. He goes, because in the event of war, they're not even in war, but in the event of war, they may join with our enemies. And if they join with our enemies and fight us, we'll lose. And so right off the bat, you see Pharaoh is playing that dangerous game that you and I often play, which is let's make decisions out of fear and unknown. Let's play the what if game. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, if you're making all of your decisions based on, well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if this happens? You're bound to make some really poor decisions. That's earthly wisdom. Pharaoh ultimately feared Israel's might and that caused him to consider options that he had never before put on the table. Fear has a funny way of superseding our convictions and ridding us of our resolve. And what's, uh, it's really interesting that, to me that Israel had given no indication via the scripture that they would ever join with their enemies. Think about that. Why would they do that? Israel gave them, or Egypt gave Israel refuge, free land, and said, you can be a part of our economy, you can be a part of our nation, thrive. They had zero reason whatsoever to think that Israel would ever rise up and revolt. They had been nothing but good to Israel. But man, that fear, that anxiety, that, well, what if, what if, what if? I'm just gonna tell you, you gotta stop dwelling on the whole what if. That little game that you're playing in your mind, that's demonic. There is no what if in the Lord's mind. The Lord's not up there going, well, what if this happens? I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, this is terrible. Right? Jesus wasn't playing B. Right? God doesn't play what if. We don't play what if. Because here's the thing when we start asking that question, well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if this happens? Immediately we start getting seized up. We start getting really fearful. And then we will make really stupid decisions out of fear. When we operate in fear, most of the time we're going to hurt somebody. Most of the time, we're going to make decisions that splash onto other people, just like Pharaoh does Israel, and it's going to cause pain and destruction. We're to operate in faith. So we don't say, what if, what if, what if? We go, okay, I've got God. That means I'm safe. God's never gonna leave me nor forsake me. That's good to know. Okay, Lord, what do you say about this? You don't look at the giants in the land and go, ah, man, I don't know. What if this doesn't go well? You go, okay, there's giants in the land. That's cool, but I've got God. We're gonna be okay. Let's take the land, he said to go, okay? So here's the thing. That doesn't mean we throw caution to the wind, but our primary motivation cannot be fear of the unknown. Uh, We make our decisions out of the fear of the Lord. And then this leads to the last point uh, for the day. Uh, And it's the same verse. That the It's just an observation that the enslavement of a nation began with Pharaoh, not just playing the what if game, but assigning false motivations to Israel's heart. that the enslavement of an entire nation began with one man assigning a false motive to Israel's heart. Remember what I said? Israel had never given any indication that they would ever rise up and revolt and fight against Egypt. So he starts playing the what if game, he starts getting anxious, and then it leads him to really bad decisions. And then he starts assigning poor motivation to Israel that was not there. Starts reading into everything. Well, they said this. I mean, gosh, do they really mean this? You know what I'm talking about? It says, in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. How often do we assign motives to people's hearts that are completely and totally unfounded in reality? We call it discernment sometimes. That's not what the gift of discernment's for. Let me just tell you, if your gift of discernment is causing you to invalidate another believer and to assign poor motives to their hearts, that's not discernment. You're to discern spirits, you're not gonna discern their heart. What you're called to do is to give believers the benefit of the doubt. That's what we do. But how often, dude, we do it at church, I live at church, I know, we do it. So I just had a conversation with somebody, they go and they pray on the mic, took that from me. That was my revelation. I shared that with them in confidence, and they're going out there, and they're taking that. They're trying to steal the glory. How sick is that, right? They're taking my line. I don't actually do that one, but I've seen it done. I've probably done it before. Right? Or so-and-so didn't look at me in the eye when they walked past me. They saw me. I know they saw me. They didn't say hi. Dude, Y'all are laughing, but it's so true, right? Like we literally walk around as the voice of the accuser all the time. We literally do the devil. I'm I'm like so convinced. Like the devil is probably just sitting back in a flipping lawn chair, sipping on pina coladas being like, I don't gotta do anything. Y'all doing all the work. Says that he's the accuser of the brethren, that he's constantly building a case against us. He doesn't have to do it because we do it for him. Y'all are, y'all, are, y'all are funny, but it's so true, right? Guys, and here's the thing. When you start assigning motive to people's hearts, there's a rabbit trail that you will go down that will literally lead to the enslavement of a nation. Wow. That's how they got there. That's how Israel ends up oppressed and enslaved for four 100 years, because Pharaoh decided, I wasn't going to operate in reality. I wasn't going to take what they said at face value and just trust them. Instead, I'm going to find a motivation. And here's the thing, if you think it's there, you'll see it, I promise you. You will always, let me give you a principle. You will always find what you're looking for, for better or for worse. If I told you that, hey, you know, if I pulled you aside and I was like, hey, you know, I really, you know, that guy, I saw him and he, he hugged this little girl and it just made me feel uncomfortable. I know it was just a side hug, but something about it was just off. Every time you saw that person, every time you saw him go near a little girl, every time you saw him get down and say, how was your day? You'd go, hmm, something's not off or something's not right. You would start building a case, right? Because you're gonna find whatever you want to see. So often, guys, we do not operate in reality. And I've been the, the perpetrator of this where I've started like assigning false motives to people and then I've had it done to me and it's not fun. I've had people come up to me, not in this room, but I've had people come up to me and be like, you know, I'm like really upset because I know that you saw me and you didn't say anything and you're ignoring me. And I'm like, I wasn't ignoring you. I didn't even see you. But literally, they built up a whole case in their mind. And I'm only using this as a study because we all do it, right? You'll stew on it. We'll dwell on it. We'll hang out for a few weeks. And maybe we'll vent about it to our friends who are also a little bitter. And next thing you know, we've got this little bitter sin party going on here. And then we start assigning false motive. And that person looks completely different. And the Lord's up there like, what are you doing? The guy had a rough day. He just wasn't even in the zone. He wasn't even looking. What we're called to do, guys, as Christians, is to love one another, defer to one another, and hope the best. That's Bible. We all want to. We all want the 1 Corinthians thirteen kind of love. It says that hope, or that that believe that love hopes for the best and believes the best. How often do we not believe the best of one another? Okay, and if we're going to be gatekeepers, that's just going to be our rule of thumb. We are going to operate like we're going to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're going to not assign false motives to people. We're going to assume that everybody here loves Jesus and is trying, and there's going to be a lot of grace. Okay? That means you don't have to to, uh, explain yourself every time that you saw somebody and you didn't get to say hi and you walked away. You don't have to worry about that because that person's not going to worry about that. Okay? We've got to operate in a place that says, I love you and I trust you know that you love the Lord. That's enough for me. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next episode.